This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. What's up, church folks? You have just tuned in to the Church Politics Podcast with myself, Justin Gibney, and Michael Ware, brought to you by the and campaign and crux and call crux and the call.com. Uh, thank you for joining us as always. Every week, we're trying to give you uh, political commentary from a biblical worldview. How you feeling uh, today, Michael? I'm doing really well. We had a great weekend. Justin took, uh, took our daughter to the Baltimore aquarium and just had a blast. Mm. So yeah, we, we, we had a good weekend. Kids love aquariums, man. I, I'm going to be honest with you though. I was a little bit conflicted this week. So you may know, I think we've talked about it, man. My favorite active NBA player is Russell Westbrook, AKA yeah. Russ. You know, I believe that Russ is the integrity of the NBA. He's not trying to be all friendly with folks on other teams and all this other stuff. But he was traded to the Houston Rockets, which yeah. is complicated, a complicated situation for me because I'm that's one of the teams I love to hate. So I have a few good <laughs> friends, including John Amwichekwa, uh, who love the Houston Rockets. And so I love to hate the Houston Rockets because, as you know, I'm very tribal when it comes to sports, as yes. I believe everybody should be. Uh, those of you who listen to this podcast quite often probably know about my sports tribalism theorem, uh, which basically says that uh, people are naturally tribal and politics. And while politics is actually a uh, terrible place to act on that tribalism, sports is the perfect forum to do that. Uh, sports <laughs> best serves our society as an outlet of our innate tribalism. So it is okay to unreasonably hate on someone else's team and to support your team indecently and with no logical foundation. The stats and the facts can be clear that your team is trash and you can still completely ignore it and root for them like they are the best team out there. So that's what that's about. Uh, I think sports is the perfect place for that. Not politics. I want to be clear, not <laughs> politics. Uh, but I have to find a way to switch tribes in a way. Uh, and so that may be difficult, but I will find a way to support Russ. Also, have to buy my son some new Russ jerseys, and uh, so it's, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a complicated one for me, man. But I, I'll find my way through. It's testing my theorem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you think the Rockets have a have a shot? Do you think the the Harden Westbrook combo, you know, it, uh, puts them in contention in the West? It could. Uh, you know, it's going to be all about whether or not they. You know, there's only one ball. So it'll be all about whether or not they can can uh, find a way to work together. And I think uh, I think they can make it happen. So it should be interesting for sure. So anyway, man, it, Michael, it was a big week for you. Uh, you had some good work out there. You actually had an article that was featured in The New York Times this Sunday entitled Should Democrats Be So Certain About Abortion? And it was a commentary on the state of the Democratic Party when it comes to abortion, the abortion conversation, abortion policy. Um, now, what's interesting about this is that as a Democratic operative, 
uh, unless you're blessing Planned Parenthood and blessing the current position of the party or saying that they should go further left, if that's even possible, very few people question the party on this issue. Uh, This is a sacred cow uh, for the Democratic Party. And even a lot of Christians who are in the party have really watched the party go from safe, legal and rare to celebrating abortion as if uh, it's a societal good without saying a word. Now, there's a lot of reasons that this might happen. Some people may just think that the uh, the Republicans are so bad that to question the party at all is, uh, you know, is, is hurtful or some others may may have bought into the rhetoric. But, Michael, tell us a little bit about why you thought this article was important for you to write at this time and how you'd hope the party would respond to it. Yeah, well, you know, this this article was not meant to be, you know, everything. We talk about the moral case uh, against and regarding abortion on this podcast often. We we both have written and spoken about it. This was really the the political case to Democrats uh, that, that really re- uh, to, to make the argument that uh, Democrats aren't even reflecting Democratic voters on this issue, not to mention the American people. So I, I ran down stats that Democrats often t- try to sweep under the rug or just ignore. I uh, I reported in the op-ed that uh, that that I've heard of uh, Democratic focus groups in in swing states where Democratic voters are, you know, without prompting bringing up the idea that Democrats want to, quote, execute babies after they're born. Now, there's some fact-checking to go there, but one of the reasons why there's fact-checking that has to go on is because Democrats have had no response. They've actually been, uh, unfortunately, too many have been content to let sort of Donald Trump uh, do all of the messaging to every voter who is anything but uh pro-choice for abortion on demand. And, and that's a thing that, you know, I'll, I'll close with Justin, which is, it, you know, it's been f- interesting to see some of the reaction, uh, which acts as if the Democratic Party hasn't moved on this. You could say in 2008 that no Democrats are pro-abortion. You could say that, you know, it's a Republican lie to say that uh, Democrats don't support any restrictions. But we're in 2019. There have been presidential debates, uh, like the first debate, where Elizabeth Warren was asked, "Is there any restriction on abortion you can support?" She didn't have an answer. <laughs> she there, there wasn't a one restriction that she could name. Well, well, that means that leading Democrats don't support any restrictions on abortion. Uh, Kamala uh, Kamala Harris went to South Carolina. Uh, along with many of the other Democratic candidates. And, and Senator Harris was asked a question uh, by a questioner who said the abortion should be free on demand for any time, for any reason. And Senator Harris didn't push back at all. In fact, she seemed to act like she agreed. And so, you know, we, we have a real issue in the party. If you're part of the 82% of Americans who don't believe that abortion should be available for any reason for free at any time without restriction. And this is, of course, a, a moral problem, but it's also a real political problem. If, if you believe, and we'll be talking about this later in the episode, if you believe Donald Trump should have never been elected in the first place and certainly shouldn't be elected to a second term, then what Democrats are doing is giving Trump a way to sort of 
try to equalize the moral plane of this election. So Democrats will say Donald Trump is indecent. He says awful things about immigrants, about uh, all different kinds of communities. And, And Trump will say, but Democrats don't want to draw any lines around abortion. They're completely fine with abortion. And for swing voters, and certainly for Donald Trump's own voters, that's going to be enough to wave away some of his own indiscretions. And I don't think we should we should give him that that loophole. And, and you know, I just say, Justin, I, I don't think the loophole holds up, right? We talk on right. this show very often about just because just because your opponents might be wrong on one thing doesn't make them wrong on everything. And even if we've also talked about Donald Trump's uh, sincerity on the abortion question, not necessarily holding up given the fact that he was pro-choice up until the time that he decided to run for office. But the, the political fact remains that if Democrats don't have a better answer uh, around abortion, something that uh, reflects some moral nuance that reflects some openness to limited uh, restrictions, uh, some eagerness to see the abortion rate continue to fall as it had under Barack Obama, then it leaves voters in the middle with nothing to defend themselves with when the folks down the pew at church or those in their families are saying, how could you support Democrats? All they do is support abortion. Yeah, that's right. Um, And we should monitor that. I want to see if any of the candidates will have the courage to actually and it's not all that much courage, let's be clear, but to actually (laughs) say that there could be some limit or some restriction on abortion. Will one Democratic presidential candidate take that stance? I would I would like to see that. I don't think it's asking for much at all, but it's not looking like we're going to get it. And obviously, that's the fault of the folks who are running for president. But it's also the fault of people like ourselves who, um, you know, me and you happen to be Christian Democrats, uh, but not enough of us are speaking out. So if the numbers are what you say they are in the article, well, there's a reason why people aren't reacting to those numbers, because those numbers aren't vocal enough. And maybe those numbers are being quiet for one reason or another. But we have to take some of the blunt blame for the stances that they are taking, because really, in a lot of ways, politicians are just responding uh, to the wave. They're, they're reading the tea leaves and seeing what the people want to some extent and responding to that. So it shows that we're not being vocal enough to say where we stand. I do want to mention before I forget, uh, you, you you all should know that the Ann campaign is very serious about making sure that women's voices are heard on this subject, uh, especially women of color, uh, because you, you get a lot of people talking for us. And you get some folks of of color who are talking for other organizations. We want you to hear some sisters uh, talking about the abortion issue in a very compassionate and convictional way. And so if uh, we will be having a conversation on Facebook Live, if you go to our Facebook page on uh, this month, on the 18th, actually this week, uh, this Thursday, about the abortion conversation, a new narrative that is pro-woman and pro-child. And we want you to listen up to that. So th- listen into that. So that'll be this Thursday on Facebook Live on our Facebook page. And you'll hear some very some some expert conversation from sisters who are uh, very serious about the word and very serious about uh, women's health. Hear them talk about this conversation from a, uh, a pro-life, but also uh, pro-woman and pro-child point of view. So tune in for that. The other thing I appreciate about what you said, Michael, and, and you hit it on the head again, was this wasn't this one article couldn't be everything. 
And right. in some of the responses that we got on social media uh, when this first came out, people didn't understand that this wasn't the moral case. You weren't right. laying out the moral case or, or laying out, it, uh, you know, even an apologetic or a theoretical theological case uh, against abortion. We can both do that. And if anybody who listens to this knows we've done it before, but that's not necessarily what this article was. I appreciated how you spoke, how you asked the Democratic Party to moderate on abortion by speaking to their interest uh, and right. even using the Obama administration as an example. Now, some people took that to say, oh, you agree with where the Obama administration was on abortion. And that's not what that means. But it's called it's it's asking the party to recall that not that long ago they were a lot they were more moderate on this subject because you could have just very easily said, hey, this is what the Bible says about abortion. And you'd be right if you did that. But it probably wouldn't be all that persuasive. Right. To to people who aren't listening to those type of things. So uh, as we saw Paul do in Acts 17. Sometimes you have to speak to people in a way that they understand in ways that move them, uh, which means you have to be a little more innovative. Although at the end of the day, you're rooted in in biblical doctrine. You're asking them to come from an extreme to a more moderate position, even if that position isn't exactly where you would have them. Can you speak on that a little bit? No, no, I think that's exactly right, which is, you know, I think there are different uh, roles that each of us has to play and, and some of us will play different roles at different time. You know, in, in this op-ed, I wanted to use and, and steward my position, having worked in democratic administrations to exactly what you said, point out that not that long ago, uh, we had a candidate who uh, was by no means perfect on this issue. And for those who have read my book, uh, what will see me lay out uh, in pretty specific detail uh, the ways in which I, I think he fell short on this issue. But he he did say that abortion was a moral tragedy. He did, under his administration, reduce the abortion rate to the lowest it's been since Roe v. Wade. He did, when he was running for president, express openness to restrictions on abortion, significant restrictions on abortion. Uh, and so, you know, p- part of the point is, is to say, look, for the same people, uh, for many of the same people, that was that that was that was good enough. He was pro his his you know quote unquote pro choice credentials weren't in question. That uh, uh, he got the money from the pro choice groups. And so the question is like why why is that now uh, some big retreat? Why is that now unacceptable? And trying to point out to what I think you know not just from the polling, but I'm talking about at the elite level for for strategists who just and Justin we know these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, they they don't have their hands on the steering wheel on this issue, uh, but they're in the Democratic Party and they're just wondering, well, wh- why are we acting this way on this issue? That, that's not what my that's not what I support. That's not what uh, I attend church. It's not what my church supports. Uh, but they don't feel like they have a voice, and and that's part of what the op ed is trying to do. Your point, Justin, about you, you know, and and a great example is you know Biden's flip on Hyde. You know, there was that window there where he expressed support for Hyde and all, you know, 95% of the incoming his campaign heard, including from big Hollywood actors and big time donors, uh, was that he couldn't hold that position, that his position in support of Hyde Amendment, which, you know, for those of you who 
who don't remember uh, Hyde Amendment bans federal funds being used for abortion. And, and all 95 percent of the incoming, 98 percent of the incoming was telling him he needed to change his position. We just for those who want to see uh, a Democratic Party that is more attentive to human dignity when it comes to abortion, a Republican Party that's more attentive to human dignity when it comes to criminal justice reform or voting rights or immigration. Uh, it, it, it requires infrastructure. You, you have to be able to communicate those views in a powerful way to politicians so, so that they feel like, hey, if I hold to my position on this or if I speak out against this, I'm going to have somebody backing me because at the end of the day, politics requires that you have people backing you. You can only stand up so many times before you're elected out unless you have folks backing you. So I, I think that's a really important point, Jesse. Yeah, no, that's good. And and I'll just kind of end with this. I think this shows us again that Trump has been a boon for the far left. Uh, his extremism yeah. has justified and ushered in their extremism into the kind of into the, the mainstream. And based on most of the performances of the Democratic uh, presidential candidates, the party is along for the ride. If that's if that's going to stop, more people have to speak up like Michael spoke up. And that includes you. I don't care if you feel like you have a big platform or not, even in everyday conversations, thinking through the issue and being able to articulate it in a compassionate and convictional way goes a long way because we're dealing with the situation where people don't have good narratives. And so they think they're choosing between either not caring about women or not caring about babies. And it's it's a, it's more uh, intricate than that. And we need to let people know and provide them with a new narrative. So if you need a new narrative, if you're not sure how to explain it, one thing I would ask you to do is watch or uh, go to our Facebook live chat on, on uh, this Thursday uh, at 530 and listen to these sisters kind of lay out a new way of thinking about abortion because Christians cannot just go along with what progressives are saying or what conservatives are saying. So check it out. All right. When we get back, we're going to talk about uh, Vice President Pence's trip to the border. And we're also going to talk about uh, President Trump's tweeting over the weekend. This is the Church Politics Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. Justin, uh, over the weekend, uh, President Trump capitalizing on what we discussed last week, which was the uh, the disagreements between Speaker Pelosi and the squad, uh, these four freshman Democratic women uh, House members, AOC, uh, Omar, Presley, and Tlaib, uh, and President Trump uh, tweeted over the weekend uh, that they should go home, referring to the countries he thinks that they came from, and that they ought to, uh, instead of criticizing this country, uh, they they ought to go home and fix their own, and then then they could tell uh, us how to do it. On Monday, after you know, forty eight hours of a whole bunch of uh, activity and conversation. Uh, he said that these radical left congresswomen should apologize to our country, the people of Israel, and even to the office of the president for the foul language they have used and the terrible things they have said. So many people are angry at them. 
and their horrible and disgusting actions. So, so right. So a, a few things first, as has been pointed out, three of the four democratic Congresswomen were born in the United States. Only Ilhan Omar uh, is a refugee. Uh, uh, well, came over from Somalia uh, to leave was born in Detroit. AOC was born in New York. That's almost beside the point because America is a country where if you are a citizen, you're from here, <laughs> that, that, that you don't have to be a second class citizen uh, because you weren't born here. We are a, a country that welcomes people. Uh, and so so that's that's key. The, the second thing, Justin, well... Actually, I don't want to move move on from that. There, there's a political side of this, but I first want to turn to you. You know, wh- what does it mean that we have a, a a president who's betraying just basic American ideas in order to attack his his enemies? I mean, we have a. I mean, talk about the ironies of the of the political moment. Just twenty thirty minutes before we start recording. We saw uh, the prime minister of the UK. So you know the country that we fled, <laughs> that, that Americans fled to 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 start America. Uh, uh, when you know they they were all coming from somewhere. The prime minister of the UK had to say had to condemn Trump's remarks as inappropriate and and as xenophobic. I don't think she used that that term, but that was the basic criticism. Uh, just. Uh, what what what's what's your what's your your take on the fact that that President Trump would would tweet this out and, and these attacks on these four congresswomen? Yeah, well, as you know, and and this is I guess no surprise, although we should never uh, allow it to be normalized. You know, this president lacks emotional maturity. Uh, <laughs> he gets an idea in his head and and feels like he needs to put it out there, and uh, just another reason why he's not fit to be in office. Um, and, and like you said, uh, the whole if you don't like America, go home really doesn't even make sense in the context of American history and how people arrived here. Uh, he also said something to the to the to the point of, um, you know, you think you look at the places where you came from, but you want to tell this government how to be how we should run the American government. Something something to that. Yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And first of all, Mr. President, uh, their job is to tell you how the government should be run. They were elected just like you to do just that. And so the the, the comments are so ridiculous that it's even, it's almost hard to give a serious in-depth analysis of the comments. It, it's I mean that's probably one of the most patently racist statements that you can make. Yeah. It's not even a dog whistle. It's a it's just blatant racism 101. If you're creating a cartoon character who was a stereotypical uh, uh, and simple-minded racist? That's exactly what you would have him say, right? And everybody, everybody, be like, "Yep, that's that's." I, I see what you want this character to be, um, and so it, it's unfortunately he he you know he's there's I don't think there's much hope of him learning to do better. Uh, that was a racist statement. Nobody should make any kind of qualifications for it. It was a racist statement. Should never come out of the mouth of any public official, uh, especially the president. Uh, and we've said over and over again how he's brought the presidency to a new low and he get, just continues to do it. Um, what is almost more problematic is that up until now and hopefully by the time this episode comes out, uh, this will change. But up until now, uh, I don't think any Republicans 
have come out. Any well-known Republicans or in the Senate or in the in the House that I know of have come out and condemned what he's saying. As, as you said, you know, we have the prime we have the British prime minister denouncing these comments, but we don't hear anybody from the Republican Party doing that. And I think any Republican Christian should be calling this out and separating themselves from this comment in no uncertain terms. Uh, now, I know some very thoughtful and dignified black Republicans. I'm not one of those people that says that that doesn't exist. I know some people that 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 are that way and I don't have a problem with them. But if you're wondering why a lot of people of color don't feel comfortable even considering the Republican Party, this is why. Right. Like this is problematic. And if nobody has anything to say and I'm not one of those people that says you have to say it as soon as you see it, you got to call it out immediately. No, think it through. But you need to say something and you need to say something that's courageous and that sticks and that makes it very clear that you disagree with what he's doing and what he's saying. Because you have a crisis at the border, you have a crisis involving people of color. And if you want people to believe that you care about those people, you can't allow a president to make statements like this and not be uh, not receive pushback or be checked from his own party. I don't I don't see any justification other than self-preservation for not saying something and saying something very clearly. So we'll be watching out to hope somebody says something. But as of right now, I don't see any, you know, well-known Republicans that are even speaking out on this. And it's it's extremely disappointing. You know, just to speak to the politics of this for a bit, Trump understands that he is up for a very difficult reelection battle and his his only chance is to push Democrats to the left, to the far left, and to identify the Democratic Party with its most broadly unpopular elements. Axios just put out, uh, reported on a Democratic survey of swing voters that showed that AOC has something like a 22% favorability rating with with swing voters. Uh, uh, Omar, it was 9%. Trump is, uh, you know, I can't speak to the level of strategy that he's acting with, um, uh, but but the effect Trump has is now after traditionally the Republican model would be let Democrats fight uh, and uh, let the American people see the dissension in their ranks and don't do anything that would keep the Democrats from fighting. Trump's approach here, whether it's intended or whether it's just the effect, is to actually put out the most incendiary, roundly, you know, disgusting attack against these four congresswomen so that every Democrat who disagreed with them on the substance now rushes to their defense rightly against his his attack. And so so the, the, the base effect of this is to really strengthen the hand of these four congresswomen to, to say, uh, look, you're disagreeing with me. Why are you siding with, you know, this this racist man that we have in the Oval Office? And it requires like a very sophisticated level of communications and, and uh, uh, political savvy to be able to separate and communicate out to the public what like, we condemn the president's racist remarks. That doesn't mean that Medicare for all is the only way to go, or that doesn't mean that getting rid of ICE is the only way to go. And and it really it just puts Democrats in a in a very difficult in a very difficult bind. I think, Justin. 
Yeah. And, and that's why it's almost hard for me to believe that it was strategic because sometimes silence is golden. And if the other the other side is having a lot of infighting and all these issues, the best thing you can do is just let it happen and not say something that actually brings those people together. And so you almost force Pelosi's hand to do something that she may not want to do because now she has to defend a group that she was actually going back and forth with. Right. So yeah. it's an interesting back and forth. We'll see what happens. But. I really need I really need some Republican elected officials to step up and and say something about this, because if you don't, I mean, it just is a testament to how short sighted and uh, self-focused many of them are. And that's not you know, there's many people like that on both sides. But right now we're talking about a Republican president who said something that was blatantly racist and a quiet his party party is quiet, quietly and silently just letting it happen. Right. You step up. No caveats. You don't have to talk about how you're strong on borders, too, or whatever. Like, just just condemn the remarks. Yep. This is the Church Politics Podcast. When we get back, uh, we're going to talk about Vice President Pence's uh, trip to the border. All right, we're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. And just on Friday, Vice President Mike Pence visited two migrant detention centers in Texas. Uh, He uh, said that he was not surprised by what he saw. He knew that, uh, quote, I knew we would see a system that was overwhelmed. Uh, This is tough stuff. Uh, And uh, yet, According to the New York Times, he continued to be effusive in his praise of Border Patrol agents, whom he referred to as compassionate. Uh, and he uh, he uh, continued to defend, obviously, the Trump administration's uh, policies. Now, it's important that there were press with the vice president. And here's a bit of what they saw from this New York Times story. Before members of the news media were ushered out of the facility, some of the detainees shouted that they had been there for more than 40 days, were hungry, and could not brush their teeth. One pool reporter described the stench as horrendous. Some of the agents wore face masks and said it was sweltering inside the detention center, which is less than 10 miles from the Rio Grande, the river that divides the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, Another report said that They observed uh, nearly 400 men crammed inside a cage with no space to lie down and no mats or pillows, according to pool reports. And so, you know, you you have this, um, you you know, kind of to to the last segment, Justin, you just you just wish that we, uh, you know, we, we should we should be in a place as a country, as human beings, where without caveat. You can you can look at something, and and call it for what it is. Just just say just say what it is. <laughs> like like, well, how could it be that pool reporter, an entire pool of press, go in, stand him right next to Vice President Pence, and see one thing, and report on that thing, and then Vice President Pence comes out and has a totally different different narrative. Now, I understand there's an argument here 
the Congress didn't move fast enough on fun, all, all of that. But at some point, the buck has to stop with you. <laughs> it's it's your administration. It's it's your ICE that's that's uh, putting up these detention centers. It's your Health and Human Services that is uh, that is responsible for for serving these folks. So just can't we just say what it is and and say that you know I'm going to take responsibility for improving these conditions instead of walking out and saying talking about the compa- the compassion of border patrol agents saying what vice president pence said coming out of this uh he he said that uh we were providing care that every american would be proud of i just don't think that's the case i mean i mean we know it's not the case because there are a lot of americans who are uh, very clearly expressing that so so why can't these why can't these folks <laughs> just acknowledge reality for what it is it's, it's Michael, it's just a lack of integrity, uh, point blank, uh, putting, uh, you know, having your priorities wrong and putting all these other things above human dignity. And it's going to catch up with them. Uh, you you know, in my opinion, you can't separate uh, what went on with Pence at the border from Trump's comments because this administration just has no credibility. So no one's going to believe Pence over everybody else in the media and everybody else who's been down there when he says that this is something we should be proud of. And if you look closely at his statements, there's just a lot of <laughs> conflict in what he was saying just just generally. I mean, at one point he says, well, yeah, it is overwhelmed. And then at another point he says, well, you know, it's not that overcrowded. It's not that bad. Well, which is it? Right. You're going you're going back and forth. And at one point you're saying, well, we have so many people rushing the border. It's overwhelmed. We can't take care of it. OK, if that's your stance, that's your stance. Don't come back and say, oh, well, it's not that overcrowded. Every Everything looks all right. No, it doesn't look all right. And everybody knows that. And so much of our politics is about just saying enough to convince the people that want to agree with you anyway. And both sides just focus on let me let me give my side enough to pass the blush test to make it seem like they're even halfway credible. And that's really a lot of times all we look for from the politicians that we want to support is just enough to make us to, to make us believe it's all almost like we're willfully gullible and we'll take whatever they give us as long as it's enough to, to come out of our mouths without us somehow looking crazy ourselves. And it has to be more than that. We have to ask our politicians for more and, I can scream at what Pence should do all day. Michael can scream about what Pence should do all day. But it's really people in his party. It's people who supported him, Christians who supported them that need to be the ones to speak up. And it's the same principle that I talk about that we talked about with Michael's article. It's on it's on people like Michael who are political, who are Democrat political operatives to say something to the Democratic Party. That doesn't mean you can't say something to the other party, but it's going to be more effective when it comes from within. And so Republicans have to step up and have to call this stuff out. Nobody believes anything that Pence was saying in regard to what was going on at the border because there's no credibility. And it's the people that are closest to them, the people that voted for them, that need to make that clear to them. Yeah. And and, I mean, this is exactly what Speaker Pelosi called for last week. It, It was noted multiple times throughout the week. She said that she was going to be asking faith based and evangelical groups to speak to the Trump administration about the raids that they had planned for this past Sunday and, you know, that, that they suggest will be ongoing. And, you know, I understand folks might be skeptical of Pelosi. Uh, here's one reason I'm not when it comes to this, which is Speaker Pelosi has been working with evangelical groups for 
uh, the last uh, 15 years uh, plus on immigration. So Speaker Pelosi will bring up, you know, our friend Sammy Rodriguez, who is who is not a uh, well, let's just say he's not a uh, a solid Democrat. <laughs> he is he is someone who who is who has challenged Democrats over and over again. But on the issue of immigration. Speaker Pelosi has lifted up people like Sammy as a way to get the policy done. And she's seen the way that they've been able to influence this administration before. And so, I mean, that's exactly right. uh, When it comes to the border, when it comes to immigration, we're at one of these points where, uh, you know, the politics has to melt away just for a moment uh, so that we can uh, so that we can actually serve the public in in in, uh, in the way that our politicians ought to all the time. Uh, and until we see that, we're just going to continue to see uh, these kinds of conditions be manipulated for, for political gain. That's right. All right, Justin. Well, we've made our way through uh, quite a bit this week. It's uh, you, you know, we're on the March, you know, from a political side, we're on the March to uh, the debates at the end of the month. And, you know, we suggested a couple weeks ago that we were going to see some seeds being planted this week. I expect to, to see that continue. Senator Sanders will be giving a speech where he's uh, reported to be criticizing Joe Biden directly on his lack of support for Medicare for all. On Monday of this week, uh, Joe Biden uh, released his health care plan. And so if you watch how things play out this week on health care, you'll have a good idea of how the 10 to 15 minutes uh, of discussion in the debates at the end of the month on health care will shape up and it, it should be interesting. And then, of course, we'll continue to monitor the impact of the ICE activity and the and the idea of ICE activity o- over the weekend and, and see sort of what the impact of that uh, has been. Justin, anything you, you'll be keeping your eyes on? Really the same thing. I want to I want to see again. I want to see some Republicans speak out on on what the president said. And so I'll, I'll be holding out hopes that that'll happen again. I know I said this for the third time. Please tune in on Thursday, yes. uh, 530 Eastern time to our sisters who are going to be talking about the abortion conversation from a biblical worldview. Check them out, man. They putting a lot of work into this. Really uh, pay attention to what they're doing. Yeah, that'll be great on Thursday. I'll be tuning in. So appreciate them and the work that they're uh, that they've done and, and are doing. All right, Justin, th- that's it. Uh, we'll see if there are any more shakeups in the NBA uh, this week, uh, uh, or uh, otherwise we'll just be uh, <laughs> on the path to October. I know I got some some matchups uh, on my calendar already. Yeah, man. Uh, this is the Church Politics Podcast. Ha- have a blessed week. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, I'll take care. This is the groove. Tell me, can you handle it? I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.